Wrestling is fake news. This is Tony Atlas, Mr. USA WWE Hall of Famer 2006, one half of the, the World Tag Team Championship with Soul Man Rocket Johnson. Still got the pipes going on, still working out, still hitting the gym. So, you know, one of the things I talked about earlier, I was babbling a couple of times, but this I won't babble on because this is what I do for a living. I work as a personal trainer for the past 35 years at different gyms up here in Maine and other places. But like I was saying earlier, uh, you have to be tough to be a wrestler. And uh, I wasn't the best shooter in the wrestling business. Even though I won a couple of amateur titles uh, in my younger days, I run a, a lot of, I've been a lot of fist fight. But you know, uh, toughness was more than just fist fighting and a couple of amateur uh, uh, stuff. Uh, you have to be able to travel. You got to be tough on the inside. When I say tough, not just tough. I could beat up this guy. I could beat up a guy. You have to be able to take it. You know, you have to be able to take criticism. I remember one time before I get into what I really want to talk about, I talked to Mr. Wrestling number two, which was Johnny Walker in Atlanta, Georgia. And I said, Mr. Two, will you man watching my match and telling me what I'm doing wrong? Two said I would do it on one condition. You don't get mad at me. Because if you can't take constructive criticism to you told me, then you can't make it in this business. You got to be able to take constructive criticism. With somebody, you ask a man, what did I do wrong? You have to take what that man said and thank him. So he told me what I did wrong in a match. I took it and I, and I thank him. My mom used to always say, it takes a smart man to play dumb and a dumb man to play smart. So... Getting back to what I really want to talk to you about, I always getting questions all the time. They say, Tony, how do you how long did it take you to develop your body? Well, to answer that question, it took me two years. It only take two or three years to for a guy to never lift weights in his life to develop himself into maybe a, a, a contender, you know, a person that could compete in the competition. I first got my style, like I said, with Alfonso Johnson took me to the YMCA, but I went there. I'm like most people. I'm all over the gym. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I don't have a freaking clue of what I'm doing. I really, I'm doing it right or wrong. So I asked this guy named Jackie Cooper, can he help me? And so I went up to Jackie Cooper, and I asked him to write me out a routine. And I'd done that routine from age 16, I would say, all of up until I got to about in my 50s. So I did this routine for oh, maybe 30 years, and I pretty much do the same thing. I switch it up a little bit, but pretty much this is the routine. This is the Tony Atlas routine. On Monday and Thursday, with chest, shoulders, and tricep. The reason for chest, shoulders, and tricep, them are what you call your pushing muscles. The chest, you push. The shoulders, you push. The tricep, you push. 
So that was that was my push day. Um, on uh, Tuesday and Friday was my back and bicep. Them the muscle you pull with. You pull with your back. You pull with your bicep. So, and then on Wednesday and Saturday, I trained my legs. And I did my heavy workout first. Just like on Monday, this is what I would do. On the, for chest, I would do bench press. Uh, five sets of five on the bench. I wouldn't go over five reps on Monday. I start off with 135 for five. 220, no, one, I take it back. I start with 125 of uh, 135, and I would do a, a, a set of 10 to 20 reps just to warm up the muscle. Then I would start with 225. I do that five times. I go to 315. I do that five times. <laughs> I used to go to 405 pounds. I do that five times. Then I would go to 455, do that five times. And then I would go to 500. Sometimes I get five. Sometimes I get two or three. Sometimes I want to do it one time. But I, I that from doing that, my bench, my maximum bench got up to 600 pounds. On incline, I would start increasing my uh, uh, reps. So I would do eight reps on incline. I do five sets of uh, of eight. And on the incline, I work up to in my younger days 400 and uh uh five pounds you know but but no more than eight reps more than eight reps then i would do my flies back in the old days they didn't have all the machines so you did dumbbell flies where you lay on the bench you even decline or incline or flat bench dumbbell flies you know or butterflies what they used to call it you know they and i would do like five sets of ten then on shoulders i used to do barbell shrug for the old traps Bend over dumbbell laterals, bend over dumbbell laterals, you know, uh, bend over dumbbell laterals. Then I would do side laterals. I got a light in my face. My friend Larry getting ready to close the curtain there because that sun, I'm on my, I lean forward and I turn white. And you know, don't they white about me is my name and the bottom of my feet. Everything else about me is black. See that light? Black. Larry going to fix that light for me. Uh, but but anyway, I did my side lateral, and then for the front of the shoulder, I did shoulder press. Now with chest, when you're doing bench pressing, you're working the bottom pectoral muscle. When you're doing incline, all oh, the light gone. See, hey, thank you, Larry. The light gone. Hey, Larry, the man, brother. Larry Hunter. Y'all gotta look look him up on the computer. He runs a good show. We just did a farmer the frame, put me in the ring. Uh, he told me I had two good moves: getting in and getting out. They're my best two. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, the bench press worked the lower chest. Incline worked the upper chest. Then you had to work what's called the posterior deltoid, which is the back of your shoulder. So we did, you know, bend over laterals like 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 that. Then I would do my side lateral for the for the side dip, and then I would do either behind the neck press, front press, or or the honor press uh, uh, with the dumbbell. And you had to do four exercises for the shoulder because you got hit. Hit the shoulder from we really traps you probably shoulders and back together. But some people do their traps on the back day. But I did my traps on 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 a, on my push day. So you had to work the, the front deltoid, the plus, you know the the interior delt, the mother delt, and the posterior delt, which is uh, your rear. You had to work all three to get that them nice round shoulder. Then I would do I do my my chest and I do my uh. Uh, a, a shoulder, I would do my tricep. Well, the larger muscles in your arm about tricep is the, the inner muscle. That one right there. See? That, now, now, that is a short head. This one here is a long head. This stretch all the way from the elbow all the way to here. And you see, this muscle stops here. You're the smallest. Most people in the gym, they're always doing them pushdowns. Where the pushdown primarily, they still work the whole tricep, but it primarily only works uh, the short head. So what I used to do, I start off with what I call dumbbell extension, overhead extension, just like that. That all hit the inner. Then I go from there to nose breakers. I mean, skull crusher or nose breaker, where you lay flat on the bench and do this movement. Or I would do 
close grip wrist and keep the elbow in very close. And the last exercise I would do would be the push down. That's for, for the pump. Got to get that pump, you know. And then on back day, the first exercise that we used to do on, on back day, on, on Tuesday, now this is Monday, Tuesday, the five sets of five on the bench is Monday, five sets of eight on the incline, Monday, and the five sets of 10 uh, on the flies, that's Monday. Where with the shoulder press, I only did five, five sets of five. All my lateral movement, I did eight. So I did, by the way, I say I did five to eight reps. I wouldn't go over eight reps on nothing except for the dumbbell flies because I went for that pump at the end. That's the only thing I went past eight on. Now, that was my heavy day. I call that my heavy day. Now, when it get to Tuesday, I would do my deadlift. That worked the spinal rector. And it also worked the, the, the lower part of your, of your lacticeal dorsus. And it give you a very thick back. Then they didn't have all the machines like they have now, so everything was free weight. So then I would do my bent over roll, barbell bent over rolls, you know, for my lower lap. Now they didn't have a lap pull down machine, so we do weighted uh, pull ups. There was a video that Marty and the Ferris show of uh, my first series where y'all saw me doing the pull ups behind the neck, then pull ups to the front. Arnold Schwarzenegger was a true, true believer in doing it pull up to widen you, give you that nice V shape. So that's what I do. Now, on a, uh, on a, uh, Wednesday was leg day. So as usual, I start off with my squats. Now with squats, with legs, you can't do no five or eight reps. I mean, eight is the lowest you can go on squat. So we used to do like, on a heavy day, we do like six to eight reps. You know, that was just for, for power on the squat. Then, then the leg press back then was straight up and down, you know, horizontal. Now they got a 45-degree leg press, which is a lot more easy. But this one was horizontal. They got push-ups. You couldn't do a whole lot on leg press. The leg extension, you could do it, but you couldn't really do a whole lot. So the main exercise on leg on leg day was them squats. You go as heavy as you can. You do the most out of a squat for a single rep, not in competition, was, was 800. Uh, in the gym. The most I ever did in competition was uh, 675. I, I wasn't very good on the squats. I got narrow hips and I was I really, I just didn't know how to squat. I wasn't a very good squatter, just being honest with you. And so that pretty much was the Now, when it comes to Thursday, it was chest, shoulders, and tricep again. Now my rep ring went from 10 to 15 and the weight was unimportant. I didn't think about weight. So I did my power lifting the first three days, Monday, heavy chest, shoulders, and tricep. Tuesday, heavy back and bicep. Wednesday, heavy legs. Really was just heavy squats. Now when I got to came with my sucker time around, I did repetitions. So I would do 12 to 15 reps uh, on my chest. And then on the, on the pull down, I mean, on the back, it was the same thing, you know, heavy reps. But I would try to switch it up, the sucker one, instead of doing the heavy barbell Road, I would do dumbbell rolls, you see, and then I would do dumbbell pullovers, you know, for uh for my lap. I still do my chin up, but I would do what they call a close grip chin up. They didn't have no lap pull down machine. They had one, but it was it came off on the wall, had one roller here and one roller there. Then it was a cable that came straight down, and you unhooked the cable, and it was a flat plate with a pole on it with a little round circle. So you you put the weights on there. And then you hook the cable to it. Then somebody will hold you down by your shoulder. Some of you guys probably laughing because you put some of you guys, older guys, probably done it. But as you do the pull down, that weight be swinging back and forth in front of you just like this. <laughs> so you, you want to make sure that weight didn't hit you. Because like I said, they didn't have nothing in the gym uh, like they uh, uh, did today. And the only exercises that we did back in them days, we didn't know much about air, was setups. We do setups for all type of way. And then when them gravity boots came out, you know, you, you could hook your feet and hang upside down. We used to do setups upside down. So setups were pretty much the only thing we really knew about. There was another exercise I, I used to do. I, I, I saw a picture of it uh, in one of these old magazines. Here, I'm, I don't know if y'all can see it or not, or me trading my ass. 
in a gym when I very, very first started. I hope y'all could see this. I, 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 you know, I get Larry to take a picture of it and maybe put it on the website. But can you see that? See, I hold myself up on, on, on a dip bar. And I used to hold myself up like that. And then, and then I do leg lifts, you know. And that was one of the exercises that I used to do, you know, when I was a, a, a young kid. You know, because like I said, they didn't have all the equipment in the gym like they do now. There were no treadmills. So, so, so for your cardio, you went outside, you ran around the gym in the parking lot. You know, some gyms, like the YMCA in Charlotte, they had an indoor track. So you could run back and forth, back and forth for the track. So what I used to do, uh, I, I, I would get out of school. I, I would go and wrestle uh, on the wrestling team for Petra Henry High School. And then I leave from there and I go to the YMCA and I work out with Alfonso. And then I would go home and get something to eat and have sex with Lorella. <laughs> you know, that that was my life when I first started wrestling. Well, when I got it when I got into pro wrestling, I have to uh, organize myself where I used to get up early in the morning. One of the, my training partners was was uh Greg Valentine's father, Johnny Valentine. Now, Johnny would get in, just like the rest of us, at 2 o'clock in the morning from a wrestling show. Because the wrestling show then started at 8, and they used to end at 10 o'clock at night. And you got, like, a 200-mile drive. So most guys would try to get home before 2. That was the gimmick. Be home before 2 o'clock. Then you would, would soon get home, you hit that bed, you go right to sleep. Well, Johnny Valentine and Art Nelson would start their workout every morning. No matter what time he got in, they would start every morning at 7 o'clock in the morning. Johnny would get up, and they didn't believe in eating before the workout. They, they didn't believe in that. So what they would do, they would eat uh, after, the, after the workout. Well, in Charlotte, North Carolina at that time, it was great because First, I stayed at the Y. Uh, I, I meant to tell you this story, but I forgot to tell you earlier. I was the first wrestler, the first wrestler that was paid to be a wrestler. The Crockers knew that I was broke when I first started. They would give me $150 a week to while training. And then they told me, they said, well, later on, in fact, I was at the gallery not too long ago, and... God bless him. David Crockett was there. I got a picture on my cell phone. I'm going to try to get Larry to download it and put it out there so you people can see it. David Crockett. We was talking about how he paid paid me $150 a week. This is in like 1974. So back then, that was like paying a guy $400 today. I, I figured it out. It's almost $700. It's almost, yeah, like, like Larry said, about $700. I mean, he just paid it for me to train because I was flat. Flat, flat broke. When I first went to Charlotte, uh, Clydeite Bill said, this is the hotel where all the wrestlers stay. You go there, tell them you're a wrestler. You're going to be a wrestler. They take care of it. I said, Clydeite, do this cost any money? He started laughing. He said, yeah. They don't let you stay in a hotel free. I never stayed in a hotel before. I didn't know. So he gave me money. He paid for my room uh, 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 that night. So as soon as the next morning, George got them, took me to the YMCA, and they got me signed up at the YMCA. Uh, the rooms were very, very, like $100 for the whole month or something. Downstairs, they had a, a cafeteria. So I could eat breakfast there, I could eat lunch there, I could eat dinner there. So I had food there. Plus, they had a gym there. So everything was right there in the Charlotte uh, YMCA. One of the other things George got taught me in my earlier years was to pay your bills. He said, I hear Klondike pay, pay for your room. And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, now that you got your first check in wrestling, Tony, are you going to pay Klondike back? And I go, oh, yes, sir. Now, believe it or not, rooms back in them days were like $15, $20. I mean, you know, it, it, it was not expensive. It, I don't want to be all over the place. I'll get back to my training. Uh, I was with Johnny Weaver one time and we couldn't find a room. So Rick Flash said, hey, they got room at the Holiday Inn. He said, I tell the lady to hold your room. So we went to the room. The lady want $32. $32 <laughs> for that room. Johnny Weaver said, great day of morning. He said, I just want to sleep. 
I ain't paying no thirty-two dollars for, for for no hotel room. He said, he said, he said, you would take it all my money. He wouldn't pay thirty dollars for a hotel room. Today, <laughs> you couldn't find well, but at that time, thirty dollars for a hotel room was a lot. Another time, with gas started going up, Johnny Weaver said, pretty soon gas gonna be a dollar a gallon. When it get to a dollar a gallon, I'm gonna stop driving and I'm gonna get me a bike. I wonder what Johnny think about gas prices today. You know, he would he, he thought it was like thirty nine cents a gallon when I first started. You know, it was in the then it went up to like sixty nine cents and Johnny Weaver had a fit. But anyway, that's pretty much the routine that uh uh he gave me on Monday and Thursday with chest, shoulders and tricep. Tuesday was uh back and by Tuesday and Friday, back and by, and then Wednesday and, and Saturday, uh was uh was legs. So what we used to do on, on legs a lot, we used to do a, a lot of lunges, uh, a lot of step ups, uh heavy calf, a lot of calf raising, and, and stuff of that nature. You know, try to mix it up uh, a little bit because I didn't want to just have a good body and have no strength. So I figured out a way of just instead of just being a power lifter, I want to be a power lift, be one of the first people to be a power lifter. And a bodybuilder too. So what I would do uh, at the beginning of of the uh, of, of around September, I would train for a powerlifting meet. Then after I did my powerlifting meet, I bulk up. I would you know bulk up to do my powerlifting meet. Then I would at the end of uh, around around May or so, I would enter another contest, would be a bodybuilder contest. So that when I would get all cut and all ripped up and everything, you know, get all the all the muscles and uh, stuff like that. And that's how I come. That I used to compete uh, 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 twice uh, twice a year, you know. And I've done this from age sixteen and all the way up until I retired from powerlifting in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, ninety nine was my. Our, our last competition, and I set uh, I set the main bench press record in 1999 of 5.75. And somebody, I got a little plaque over there, See, right there, Larry. See at the bottom. And nobody broke my records yet. A guy went on the computer and they said, "Tony, you know, you know, you still hold three records." Which one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no behind my dolls there, Larry. Oh. Yeah, right there. You see that 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 another plaque? Oh, the Moxie. Yeah, right behind the moxie, oh, right behind it, the, oh, the plaque. I mean, the, not the plaque, but but the thing. But anyway, the guy came and gave me this, and I framed it. And, and, and what? Read that off, Rand. Uh, read that. What did that say? Look at that. What group is that? I'm going to turn the light on so I can see. I, I can't. Oh, hey, now y'all can see me. Look at the light on. This is, I mean, this is the APA, American Powerlifting Association. And, uh, on this thing, it says, this is for the state of Maine, uh, in a 275-pound class, I still hold the record at 575. For those over the age of, of, of 45, I hold the record of uh, 500. And in the open, 575. And that is the American, I don't know if y'all can see this. See that? And then my records. See that? Yeah, and, and that shocked me. When he gave me that, I said, oh, hell, I'm going to frame that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll frame that old Tony Stig got, got it going on there, brother. So, you know, and, and I still like training. And uh, I learned a whole lot of stuff about training over the years. In fact, I know more after I became a personal trainer than what I did when I was actually uh, competing. Like in America right now, we have a pandemic, and they say it affects those with underlying co condition. Now, some people want to take the shot. Some people don't want to take the shot. With me, I don't give a shit what somebody do. You know, you do what you want to do. You're a free country. But it's good to know the facts. Stress, stress is the number one killer in America. The average 
human being, this is what we should eat, not what you got to eat or you turn in. I ain't tell you what to eat. You go eat your chitlins. I love my chitlins. You go eat your hot dog, you eat your hamburger, eat what you want to eat. I'm not telling nobody to eat. But what we should eat is everything we consume should be, should be 50% fruit and veggie, 30% veggie, 20% fruit. When you look at how most people, most of, most of us eat carbs and protein. We don't eat any veggies, see, and we don't eat much fruit, you know. So that's how we should eat, but we, we don't eat. I, I learned that after my career was over, which I wish I had known uh, uh, earlier. I learned how to train. I mean, every Monday, 500 pounds, 500 pounds. Well, what I found out later, after six to eight weeks, your body become accustomed to whatever you're doing. What when I say it come accustomed with doing, don't mean you won't make gain, mean your progress will slow down. We slow down. I didn't know that then. I could have been a lot bigger and a lot stronger if I had known that. The way we should train, you do one month of 15 reps. See? That work your ligaments, tendons, and structural muscles. The sucker month, you want to do eight to twelve reps, which is six, which is seven. Where the first month is sixty-five percent of your maximum resistance. We work your ligaments and tendons and structural muscles. The second month, you work what you call your uh, uh, slow twitch muscle fabric, and you do that by by doing eight to twelve reps. Just doing ten is it, it, perfect. You do that for yourself, but that what they say working seventy five percent of your maximum resistance. Now, maximum resistance is what you can do for one rep, and then your your, your last month should be four four to to eight reps, four to eight reps, which is eighty five percent of your maximum resistance. And once again, your maximum resistance resistance is you know you know the weight is resistant. You try to push it up, they're trying to come down. So you got to, that what that what they call weight training, resistance exercise. So then, then you know, then you do that. Then if you feel like it, you can max out at the end of that routine. Then you're supposed to take a week off to let the joints and everything recuperate. Then you start over again. But when you start over again, you add five pounds to everything you do. See, the reason you can add five pounds a week or five pounds every two weeks, because the body don't know the difference between uh, five pounds and you know, it don't know the difference between 500 or 505. You know, it's not enough weight for the body to know, know the difference. Now, the other things I found out, I, I didn't know then. Weight training build what's called bone density. When you put stress on the bone, the body only produces what it needs. So if the body don't need it, it don't uh, use it. Like you hear the whole say, oh, he's on steroids. Well, here's the reason why they call them steroids. When you taking uh, testosterone, injectable pill, no matter what, you take artificial testosterone, your body don't produce it no more. That's why a lot of men, when they take steroids, they uh, uh, what's the word I want to use? They shrink. Test. Your Tesca, good word, good safe word. <laughs> yeah, you know me. I would say something that got me kicked off. I would say something like nuts or something. Oh, yeah, I say that. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah, yeah, nuts. That you know. But your Tesca, where they shrink up because they're not working. They're not working because your body only produce what it needs. If it don't need it, it don't produce it. After age twenty five, after age twenty five, anyone, anyone that do not do any resistant exercise or resistant movement, lose a half a pound of muscle a year. So after age 25, your muscles start to deteriorate. After age 35, you lose 1% of your bone density up into age 70. The reason you stop at age 70, you ain't got no more to lose. <laughs> you, you understand? <laughs> so your muscles start deteriorating, at uh uh at age 25 and your bones are deteriorating at 35. See the body was meant to move, the body was meant to work. That's why God gave you muscle. You ever hear those saying use it or lose it? Well, that's the reason why. But here's the key. 
to everything I say. If, if you don't listen to nothing I just say, if you remember this, one, 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 one thing. 90%, 90% of everything you do is mental. The brain controls the body. The body do not control the brain. In order for me to move this little finger like this, a signal from my brain go down to my arm, to my finger, to my finger to move. You go to a restaurant like Denny's or Applebee's and you see a waitress and she's overweight. When this woman walks, this woman walks 8 to 12 hours a day, every day. She walks every day, 8 to 12 hours. She stared heavy. In fact, sometimes they get more obese. Another woman will go to the gym and walk for one hour and lose weight. So how can you walk for eight hours and lose no weight and walk for one hour and lose weight? Well, that's easy to figure out. I say 90% is mental. 90%. The woman at the restaurant, like Applebee's or Dennis or wherever, you know, a Cracker Barrel, wherever she works, is concentrating on her customers. The woman in the gym is concentrating on her body. See that arm there? It don't have a bicep. You can do curls until you're blue in the face. The body is asking you, why are you doing this? You're here for years. You have to concentrate. You have to concentrate. You have to concentrate. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger, when I used to talk to him down in California back in the early 80s, put it the best. Bodybuilders like sex. When you stop thinking about the girl, the bone will go away. Pretty much how you live. The brain and the body have to make the, the connection. Because your body is constantly asking you, why? Why? When I was in the when I first started going to the gym, everybody in the gym had muscles. Everybody. Now I go to the gym, maybe one or two people have muscles. Because this is what they do. They do a set of benches. Then they get up and grab the phone. Do a set, grab the phone. So their mind is not on their body. Their body is there, but the brain is somewhere else. It's not that man-body connection. I used to tell ladies that I, that I used to uh, train. I said, right now, if you and I should get into... If you and I should get into uh oh that's Marty. Uh, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, if, if you and I uh, uh that's my buddy Marty from Marty and the Pharaoh, you know, I asked him to give me some questions because I get out here and I start babbling and sometimes I get what the hell I'm talking about. So Marty's trying to help me with this because like I said, I just started it. He's gonna give me some questions. So I just tell a lot of ladies that I would train and I would say, uh uh if you and I should get in a fight right now, nine times out of ten, I may be able to defeat you. But if you came over and saw me attacking somebody that was really, really close to you, like your child or your mom or somebody that is really, really, really close to you, at that particular time, I would not be able to defeat you. I said, what have changed? Well, a lot of people say, well, I didn't get that adrenaline rush. Well, I had adrenaline, still got my ass whooped. I had adrenaline, still couldn't lift no car. What happened is, for once in your life, you don't have chance to doubt yourself. You put 110% thought on stopping me doing what I'm doing. That's why it happened. It, it, the change is here. Not adrenaline. I mean, your body is still the same. Your muscle is still the same. 90% of everything we do physically is mental. You get that mindset. In the old days, we used to call it psyching up. We just psych up to do this. Psych up. Psyching up means building a belief in yourself. I used to ask another question when I train people. I said, do you believe in yourself? Wait, the first question, yes, I believe in myself. I said, do you have a car? Yeah, I got a car. Is it a good car? It's a damn good car. When you put your key in the ignition and you turn that ignition, was there any doubt in your mind that car would not start? No. I said, well, you got a cell phone. You pick up your cell phone. When, when you talk on your phone, was in a doubt that phone is not going to work? No. And I said, why are you? I said, what if you was on the bench and you get ready to bench press 300 pounds? Well, I don't know if I could do that. I said, where did the belief go? You believe in that car. In fact, you're surprised if it don't stop. 
When you turn your TV on, if it don't come on, you're surprised. But you never expect it not to work because you believe in that car. You believe in that television. You believe in that phone. But when it comes to the self, that's where you have to, that's where the belief have to be developed. We all say we believe in ourselves. But then we complain about what we can't do. We all say we live in a great country. But then we complain every day about the country. You know? Either you believe or you don't. And not to get into religion, because y'all know I believe dearly in God. But the law says, so is a man thinking, so should it be. He said, you make one step, I make two. The first step is believing. You have to believe in yourself. If you don't believe it's going to happen, it won't happen. So one of the ways that the guys trained me when I was used to do my curls, I wanted big arms. The guy said, well, I told you, you have to concentrate on it. He said, how big are your arms? But I, they were about 16 at the time. I said, I want 20. He said, from now on, if anybody asks you how big your arms, say 20. He said, one day you wake up, they be 20. I said, I want to get my bench up to 500 pounds. He said, you got to eat it, sleep it, and thank it. One day, I was bench pressing 500 pounds. This is the key. Whatever you put here is going to be here. If you don't believe it's going to happen, it ain't going to happen. 90% of bodybuilding, 90% of our well, prime example, Muhammad Ali became champion of the world. Mike Tyson became champion of the world because they made their opponent not believe in their ability. Ali said, round seven, I'm going to send you to heaven. So his opponent, before the bell rang, he came out to the ring, ready to lose. He said, oh, shoot, I'm going to get knocked out this round. Ali going to knock me out. He believed. We used to play a little trick, me and my wrestling coach, Leon Bridge, at Petra in high school. I was going to wrestle in the district. I was going to be district champion, he told me, if I win this match. He said, but I want you. I had these skinny legs. I still got skinny legs compared to my upper body. I never had skinny legs. My thighs were 30 inches around. My calf was 18. But, but I had 23-inch arms. So, <laughs> so you got 30-inch thighs. And 20, you know, my thighs only six inches bigger than my arm. And I had a 28-inch waist. So, you know, I kind of look funny because, you know, I need like 38-inch thighs or something, you know, to, to match. But he used to make me keep my wrestling jacket on all the time. I couldn't take my wrestling jacket off. So uh, one, one time I was going to wrestle this guy, and he said, leave your jacket on. So the guy is looking at me. I'm 6'2", so he's like, I'm this tall Lincoln kid, you know? So I left my jacket on. And I had 19 and, 19 and a half inch arms back in, in my senior year in high school. So right before the referee, he said, ready on the white, right? Now this amateur wrestler, not pro. Ready on the right? Yes. Ready on the left? Okay, wrestle. And then he turned to me and said, son, you got to take your warm jacket off. So I would look at my coach, Leon Bridge, and Mr. Bridge would go, just like that. I would pull that jacket off, and I watched my opponent's face. He'd go, now he lost all confidence. He had lost all confidence. Excuses are the gateway to failure. Believability, you could move mountains. When this great country and I first started, we had a dream. We had a dream of building a nation that would be great for all mankind and womankind. I love women. I've got to have the women in that. But anyway, make a long story short, they, they believe. They believe in this country. They believe in their God. You couldn't make them disbelieve. Now, we figure, oh, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. They're not going to let me do this. Who ain't going to let you do something? You are stopping you. Captain Lou Albano used to tell me all the time. He said, Tony, you got the green light. The only person who can hurt Tony Atlas is Tony Atlas. And he was right. There was a lot that the big man wanted to do, to do with me, but I didn't believe in my self. 
You know, I was stuck in this old crap from the 50s and the 60s. The white man ain't going to let you do nothing because you're black. The white man ain't going to let you become champion because you're black. You ain't going to do this because you're black, because you're black, because you're black. I started believing it like an idiot. But even with that, I said, one minute power lift for me. I still one minute power weight lift for me. I became a Hall of Famer. So all that is is bull crap. You know, somebody tell you you can't do something. J.C. Wim, you tell J.C. Wim uh, you can't do something, it make him want to do it even more just to prove you wrong. That's how old J.C. Wim. I found you tell I found you can't do something. I found you try to prove you wrong. You know, you tell Huck Hogan he can't do something. He gonna prove you wrong. You tell Stone Cold Steve Austin. You can't do something, he proves you wrong. I remember sitting in the dress room, me and Tommy Wildfire Rich, and, and going back to believability, Ole Anderson did not believe in Hogan. Didn't believe in him. We were going to rest at Tommy Wildfire Rich. Y'all would talk to him, ask him. He went up and said, Ole, I just beat Den Dennis Condrick for the Georgia championship. I'm Georgia champion now. But I need the opponent because at that time, most of all the big wrestlers had left, went to AWA or went to the, uh, at that time, was a WWF, you know. Uh, it was Worldwide Wrestling uh, Federation. It had become WWF until uh, uh, 1985 after the, the father passed away. That's when it became uh, WWF. But before 1985, it was WWF. Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Well, anyway, uh, they wanted uh, uh, Hogan to beat me. That it was in 1978 in Georgia Championship Wrestling in Atlanta, Georgia. This before Hogan even went to New York. The New York he was in New York then. He had just started his career. So Tommy Rich went to talk for for Huck Hogan, and this is what uh, uh, Ole Anderson said. Why waste yourself with the big buffoon? He would never make any money in this business. Hogan made more money in a week for this business than Ole Anderson made in his whole freaking career. And I love Ole. I'm not knocking him. But it's sure about that belief. He didn't believe that Hogan had it. What He didn't believe Hogan had what it took. He didn't. Nobody did at that time. And Ted Hogan went and made that movie and became an overnight sensation, went back to Minneapolis, started selling out every building in Minneapolis, every building in Minneapolis. And then Vince Jr., smart man being what he is, everybody know how smart Vince is, he gave Hogan a call and said, hey, come on, work with me. Uh, I got some ideas that can really, really make this work. Now, I don't know if you all remember when, when Huckamania first hit, that's why I got his picture up there. Just to show y'all, now Tony Atlas pinned Huck Hogan every time we wrestle. They didn't believe in him. He had to prove them wrong. And he did. He proved that he was going to be the greatest thing that the 80s and the 90s ever saw. And he was like that for a long time. And he opened up the gateway. He took wrestling from the little arenas that we used to wrestle in, little armories, little arenas, little high school, that every place, we couldn't go to them buildings no more. They couldn't hold a crowd. That's when everything became Coliseum, Civil Center. It started with Hogan. It didn't start with John Cena. It didn't start with Raymond Rome or all these guys. These guys are all of these wrestlers today, Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan made wrestling mainstream. With Hulk Hogan, uh, ability and charisma in the ring, and with Vince, Vince McMahon intelligence, they was able to bring wrestling up. And to wrestling was drawing more people than football, more people than baseball. It used to be three major sports in America when I was a kid. Football, basketball, and baseball. There was no other sport. Nothing. We had to go to these arenas. When Vince did WrestleMania 1, 
the building sold completely out. But there was enough people on the outside to fill the building up three times more. So Vince said, oh, Lord, what the hell am I going to do for WrestleMania 2? Oh, I got a great idea. I get three. Three. Coliseums. And sold all three of them out. Oh, now what I'm going to do, say Vince. <laughs> I just hit myself in the head last Really hard. What the f- <laughs> Damn, I'm a, What is wrong with me? Can we do it next time? I'm such an idiot. But y'all know that anyway. <laughs> but anyway, you he are, went into are, stadiums. Yeah. He have to do it in stadium. But it all started with Hawkamania. That's the star. You look back at all the records, attendance that you want. There would have never been anything like Huckamania until the Attitude Earl with Stone Cold Steve Austin, Ronnie Piper and Piper Pitt. These guys were able to pick up the ball that Hogan laid down. He didn't drop it. He never fumbled. He just passed the torch on these guys. And luckily, these guys were capable of carrying the ball for uh, the McMahon family, and for the wrestling fan. But it all started with Hulk Hogan. Before Hulk Hogan, we were in a little small building. We stayed with the Civic Center once in a while. You know, we did maybe about three or four. It was like once or twice a week, we went to a big building. Most were little small, small venues. You know, we didn't, it wasn't like every night. We used to do Allentown TV. Allentown, Pennsylvania. We used to do our TV taping uh, every three weeks. And then we'd go to Hamburg. Uh, field house, they do TV taping. But when Huckamania come along, them plates were too small. So we did our first TV, Poughkeepsie, New York, Civic Center. Got to go to Civic Center, even do the TV. Now you watch Monday Night Raw, you watch it, it's all in Civic Center. But it all started with Huck Hogan. And here's a guy that never beat me. I beat him in Madison Garden. I beat him at the Spectrum. I beat him in every town in Georgia. Every time I step in the ring with Hogan. I saw him not too long ago back in, uh, 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 he, he got a, a shop, beat shop. I think it was in Orlando, right? Orlando, his beat shop? Tampa. Tampa. Yeah, Tampa. Uh, and uh, he looked at me, he said, Brother, would you like to do it just one more time? One more time. I can see it in his eye. He's looked at me. He, you know, we friends. We're the best friend. I love him to death. Love Hogan. He did, but he did. He, he want to beat me. He wants to win back. He wants that <laughs> win, brother. <laughs> Old Tony got away with me, the only guy. But they didn't recognize him. They did not believe in him. And once you lose belief in something, you're going to lose that something. You, believe, you stop believing in yourself, you're going to lose. You stop believing in your family, you're going to lose your family. You stop believing in your country, you're going to lose your country. I don't care what it is. If you don't believe in it, it ain't going to happen. The law says, so as a man thinking, so should it be. We are what we think. So this segment was pretty much supposed to be mostly about training, but training and wrestling is the same thing. You have to believe that you was going to be a champion. You know, like the boogeyman would tell his story. They didn't want him. He kept showing up. The Brooklyn Brawler. They didn't want to use him. He used to just show up at the matches, hoping somebody didn't, you know, didn't get on the car. But he kept coming. And then uh, once in a while, somebody didn't show up. They said, hey, kid, you got your trunk? Steal the boss. Yeah, I got my trunks. I got my boot. Hey, go ahead and wrestle. You know, they had wrestling. I was one of them. That would miss a show. Labardi probably took my place a couple of times. But he would just show up at a match. You know, he just wouldn't quit. And then he became one of Vince's longer employees after his wrestling career at the Brooklyn Brawler, Steve Labardi. He became a role agent for Vince. He was there in 2000. Years. And for, for years. I think I, I don't know if he stayed connected. I think he got released not too long ago. But but he believed enough in himself that, that he just would not give up. Mario Mancini was another guy. That, that believe in himself kept coming, kept coming, until finally one day they said, hey, Mario, we're going to do something with you. Mr. Wrestling number two, he was almost 40 years old before he got his break. He got it accidentally, 
Because what happened, they, they were pushing uh, Mr. Wrestling, uh, number one, uh, uh, Tim Wood. They were pushing Tim Wood. <laughs> my, my leg was shaking. I was shaking myself. So I had to hold my leg. Like, you know, I ain't all there. Y'all know I'm crazy as, as a shit. I regret. But anyway, Tim Wood got unmasked, got his finger bit off by a wrestling fan. And Mr. Two became wrestling too, because he was going to be the heel. He was going to be a bad guy, a heel. And then all of a sudden, they had to take the attention off of him and put it on wrestling too. But he hung around long enough to get that break. Sometimes we get what we want in life right away. Sometimes we have to work a little bit harder to get what we want. But as long as we believe in our ability to do, nothing's going to change. I left wrestling. I didn't leave wrestling. I got my ass kicked out of it. And I became homeless. I told the story many times. Uh, I don't need to go into detail about it. But it's a, it's a woman by the name of Monica Durang White, who is my wife for the past 31 years. She's right now is in the hospital uh, uh, with a stroke. But I just left her today. She don't give up. She still believes she's going to walk again. She still believes she can beat that stroke. She believed in me. She believed that I would quit the drugs, that I would straighten myself out. When I went back in 2006 to be inducted in the Hall of Fame, Vince McMahon, I don't know if you remember, because, you know, I'm not that important, so you don't remember things you said to unimportant people. Uh, he remember what he said to Trump, but he don't remember what the hell he said to me. Sometimes when I tell him what he says, I'm not saying that. Yeah, because I'm not on your man, Vince, so of course you're going to forget everything they said to me. I'm not important to you. He said, it's a shame you didn't meet that woman 20 years ago. And I look back on it. If I had met her 20 years ago, my career would have been a lot, a lot different financially. But in a way, I'm glad my career went the way it is because I have did a lot of I did a lot of work outside of wrestling that I wouldn't have done if I if I had been in wrestling. Outside of wrestling, I got two keys to a city, three proclamations to a city. I'm an honorary fireman. I've been to Kosovo. I entertain the troop. I work with police department, fire department, did fundraising with this. I test the life of a lot of young kids. I work with mentally challenged adults. So I did a lot of good things for those that that was less fortunate than myself. And I and I have, I have people, a lot of people I have been able to dedicate myself to doing a lot of stuff that I would have not had the opportunity to do uh, with the WWE, which Vince do do a lot for charity. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I have worked with Vince at Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, you know, uh, uh, he do a lot of stuff uh, with John Cena with that program. What is uh, uh, Make a Wish? To, yeah, to Make a Wish program. Uh, I played golf uh, at, uh, at uh, what the place uh, Mohegan Sun. Me and Sergeant Slaughter for the Jimmy Fund. Uh, I went down for the. Uh, uh, the Taser program. The Taser program and the program I got in Arizona for uh, falling officer family. Like if you're a police officer uh, and you get uh, uh, killed in the land of duty, uh, this fund is to help the wife. Because you know, every policeman are human being. They got children. They want to. They got kids. They got wives. They got parents. You know, they, they're not something from outer space. They're a human being just like you, a police officer. And so they want to go home to their wife and family in the day. But what happened when that policeman or that soldier don't come home? Where'd that leave the kids? Where'd that leave the uh, uh, the family, you know? You know, so, so you know, they human like us. So this program, the Taser program out of Arizona, was a program to help, uh, you know, with uh, the family. Because in every incident, the family is always left. Just like I wish in wrestling they had like a, a Bruce and Broly fund for wives that had lost uh, uh, husband, uh, not from natural death or nothing, but you know, like something dramatic happened, like a murder, he was murdered, no way of, of putting that, or he get killed in a plane crash or a car accident, going to or from a show. I mean, he's out there because of this show, but he can't come home, but if he wasn't doing a show, he'd been home. But we don't have that, that type of, but anyway, I just want to talk about the connection between the brain, and the body. And you can lift all the weights you want to lift. If you don't believe that you're going to grow, you won't grow. Now, one more thing, getting back to the training again, because I know some of you guys say, hey, Tony, get back to the training. Get back to the I, I, I meant. 
Something else I want to tell you guys. When you work out, the body works a certain way for everybody. If you take a one-minute rest between each set, that is for muscle development or size. So if you want big muscles, you do your set of 10 to 12 reps. You rest only one minute. And you do it again. Because what happened, the blood have not left out of your body. And all your creatine phosphates have not returned to the body yet. So you, your blood must not recover. So you keep pumping it, pumping it, pumping it. Find the muscle with just to be pumped and stay there. If you want both size and strength, you rest two minutes between sets. So you do a set, you wait two minutes, you do another set. The reason for that, because at two minutes, about 95% of your creatine phosphates have returned to your body. So you're only like 5% from recovery. That's how come you're able to do more weight. The tighter the muscle gets, the less weight you can lift. If you want strength, like your power lifting, only rest three minutes. Because after two minutes, your, your body have totally recovered. So you got another rest period in between after recovery. So you're able to lift more weight. If you rest four minutes between sets, go home. <laughs> you ain't doing shit, man. You're just taking up space. You ain't working out. If it, when I do a set of benches, it takes about 10 to 15 suckers to do a set. So if I did five sets, after workout time, it's only one minute. Nobody just slices it. One minute work. But if you take me 15 minutes, what the hell I'm doing another 14 minutes? I ain't lifting. Most guys don't grow because they it takes them so long to do the next set. It takes these guys forever. I see you guys go to the gym and got muscle the first. Go every day. And got no muscles. It's kind of like the person to go out there on a diet. And they say, oh yeah. Give me french fry, give me a cheese dog, give me a hamburger. Oh, I'm on a diet, give me a Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, give me that pizza. I want that strawberry shortcake. They want all this fatty food, and then they figure, oh, I know how to, I want to lose weight. Just give me a Diet Coke. Like that going to make a difference. Another thing that we don't do anymore, too, is drink water. 70% of, of the human body is liquid. The only thing God made softer than a human being is a grape. We're on water. Your muscle is full of liquid. Your fat cell is full of liquid. 70% of the human body is water. We're like a big old water balloon walking around. You know? We're all liquid. You know, we're like a, a grape, pretty much. And our bones in the sea, there's our skin in the skin. So we're not as uh, uh, as tough as we think we are. You know, we, we're a very delicate creature, more delicate than, than, what, than, than what we are, are thinking. Because it don't take much to hurt us. I mean, it don't take some pound of pressure to, to break a bone. But the more muscle you have when you're young, the more muscle you're going to have when you get old. Because we're all going to get old, no matter what. I mean, I'm going to get, I am a guy. I'm old. You know, but I don't have the the twenty some in bicep no more. You know, and um, you know, nothing like I used to. Not even close. But I got muscles left. I got more than most people, most people my age, because I did something earlier. The average life expectancy of the average human organ is one hundred twenty years of age. So we hear about somebody. Oh, he lived to be nine. He lived. To, that's not unusual, according to the Bible. That was average. If you treat your car the way you treat your body, it won't run. You treat your house the way you treat your body, you won't have a house. My mother made it, probably said it best, to anyone I would talk to, my mom. Anything you don't want, just don't take care of it, you want have it long. If you're in a marriage, you don't take care of it, you won't have it long. 
I knew this old guy named, I hope you don't mind telling him name because I love him to death. He's a buddy man named Tom Sparks. And he was in the construction business. He had his old, this old long, what we call hot dog with the long floppy ears and long body, little short legs, you know, basset hound. Mm-hmm. Your little best hand. And he was mean to that dog. One day we really did some uh some work for a neighbor. And he took the dog along. He left the window crack because his heart didn't want the dog to, to suffocate. We come back, that dog don't jump out the window and everything. So we holler for the dog and everything. We couldn't find a dog nowhere. So we get back in the truck, we driving, driving away. We driving away. So i somebody just told me to look back. I didn't say nothing to Tom. I still didn't told him this story. He probably told, he probably know it now. I looked, I looked back, and the dog was peeking out behind the tree at us, <laughs> watching us leave. He saw his opportunity to get the hell away from that abuse, and he did. I think the people that that uh, we did the work for kept that dog, but they probably never let dog go back. But you see a lot of dogs came from abused places. A lot of women get abused. A lot of men get abused. So, if you get jacked, brother, what you gonna do when Huckahoa go wild on you? <laughs>